All right. Welcome back to the Failing Forward podcast, where we share stories about how we have failed forward in all aspects through our health, business, and relationships. And today we have an incredible guest speaker here, Dr. Connor Hogan, PhD. He is the world's leading high-performance neurosociopsychologist. He integrates neurosocio data and experiences by studying the mind and mental processes of individuals and organizations to facilitate higher performance. Dr. Connor, thank you so much for being here on the Failing Forward podcast. It's great. It's absolutely fabulous to be here, Niku. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And you have the most incredible accent. So for the audience that's wondering, where is this cool dude from? Where are you calling in from today? Well, I don't know if I'm cool, but I'm in the West of Ireland. Um, I'm in Galway, or some people call it or refer to it as Galway. And uh, I'm actually only about 500 meters from the Atlantic Ocean. So next stop, New York. Wow, that's incredible. So thank you so much for calling in from Ireland. We love it. Um, I've heard you speak so many times in different rooms on different boards, and you are a wealth of knowledge and you have a story to tell a story of how you failed forward in your health and how you failed forward in, you know, really finding you and who you are today. So I'd love to, I'd love to share that story with the audience before we deep dive into some questions and pour some value into everyone about mindset and the brain and how to regain control of your life. But let's start with your story. Take us back. When did this all begin? Oh, wow. Uh, well, I'm getting older as we all are <laughs> since the pandemic hit. So um, yeah, actually I, I celebrated my 40th just before the pandemic hit. So it's going back Oh, it's going back, I think, to my teenage years, um, where essentially I was playing sport. I'm a big, tall guy, first off, as an adult, six foot four tall, um, you know, so near on the 200 pound mark. Uh, just big, strong guy. That's I was always that kind of build. Um, so played sport. I was really good at sport, contact sport, team sport. And that was my love. That was my passion. And for me, I just wanted, you know, the, the, the whole kind of, avenue of sport to envelop me in my life and uh, be part of playing sport but when I was 12 years of age 13 years of age I started getting all these problems with my honestly with my body and I didn't know even what parts of my body because I was getting aches and pains I can remember being sitting down at school and I was I must have been about 14 I think at this stage and just feeling you know what we call aches and pains and just everywhere my neck down to my ankle my hip my knee everything and yet here I was ready to go out like within an hour or two and play more sport I just thought it was like growing pains you know I'd heard that phrase at the time growing pains but it wasn't until a few years later till I was about I think about 17 18 where I was eventually going to what we then called alternative therapists now you call them complementary therapists and I like even at that stage I had quite an eventful journey with going to different people and they kind of said, I think there's something wrong with your spine here. I think you've got scoliosis. And then I went back to the medics because at this stage, even at 17, 18, I kind of walked away from the medics from a point of view of diagnosis and being able to kind of figure out what was causing all these problems. And uh, so then I went the, the medical route just essentially to, to, get the official diagnosis because I just I just knew that like I just I, I'd lost confidence to be quite honest in the whole medical profession and um, so I went and I got uh, referred to a specialist and the specialist more or less said to me that uh, yeah you have scoliosis 
your spine is the way it is. It's not going to change. And you need to kind of uh, get over it. And that was basically it. And you'll, you know, you shouldn't play sport. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. There's all, a whole lot of negatives and uh, inoperable. You wouldn't be operated anywhere. Now, at the time, the operation was uh, two steel rods either side of your spine. So literally from your pelvic area up to your neck was two kind of very kind of prominent steel rods which uh, orchestrate your uh, erect spine. So whatever twists were in the spine. So by the way, scoliosis is a case where if you can imagine a spiral staircase and your spine being like that, or if you've got a clothes hanger and straightened it out in the palm of your hands to make it like as long as it could possibly be, and then twist it again in the form of a 3DS. That's the way scoliosis can affect. So it's not just when people actually look from, say, for example, behind or even in front, if they're looking at their chest area, that it looks to be kind of the shoulders are off line or the hips are off line. But also your organs can twist with it. Now, our organs, as we know, say, for example, our lungs are across from each other, they're more or less in the same you know, area as one another. One is on the left, one is on the right. But if you twist them slightly, even a centimeter, there can be huge breathing problems, for example, with people with scoliosis. Then in doing exercise or things like that become really, really tricky. Um, for me, at that time, 17, 18, I was picking up all these colds, flus. I think I had about 14 sore throats at the time. And I just couldn't figure out what was like what was the, the problem with it all. And as I said, all these aches and pains were just getting worse. And there was all this, you know, even playing sport, I was like a big, strong guy. People looked at me, they thought I was lazy. Um, but the reality was when I wasn't training, practicing, I was actually away trying to do more things myself because the way it, a lot of us were brought up, especially men at that stage in, in sports, it was like, you know, if, if you're if there's something wrong, just get back up and do more. So the, the idea was I trained more and then I would work harder at myself to try and make the speeds that were expected in training and practice with the team, make the distances, uh, lift the weights, all these things that are needed. And I just, you know, I couldn't do it. There was one particular exercise I remember where in 1995, there was a team here in Ireland in my support that they were a team of bachelors. So was, <laughs> there was no great women involved. And um, they, they were the first team ever in over 100 years to win the competition. So everybody thought, OK, whatever they're doing, we're going to do. And uh, those guys adopted a 180 meter hill where they would uh, run up the hill, sprint up the hill, I think 25, 30 times in a row. And so they, the teams, the other teams around them didn't exactly have the 180 meter hill. So what they did was they adopted their 20 meter hills or their 30 meter hills and they put players up on other people's backs to be able to kind of run up the hill, the small hill. And they did it more times than say 25, 30 times to like have an adopted version of the training. And so me being the big guy, of course, I got the bigger guy coming on top of me. And so when I was doing the sprints ordinarily, and here's the funny thing, I was kind of running sprinting. I was faster than anybody when it came to a straight out sprint. But when I put somebody or a weight on my back, I was all over the place. Like one leg was going one side, my body was going the other, all of this, and I'd lose. So this, this is when things started like kind of clicking with me and, hey, there's something wrong here. There's something not right. Now I mentioned before, like at 12, 13, I thought it was like my body, my aches and pains, my body. But honestly, looking back, it's like the awareness. And we mentioned this word awareness so much. And I, I'm bound to, to mention it many times here. I know, Nikhil, you, you too will understand what I'm saying. But 
even then I didn't have an awareness literally of where certain pains were coming from and certain aches. And it wasn't until over the years, my twenties and thirties, I started doing trial and error with all the learning I, I started doing after that, that I literally became the, the lab rat for all the things that I wanted to, well, I didn't realize it, but wanted to improve on, but also I wanted to kind of, well, I knew I wanted to improve obviously, but I wanted to use and utilize my own career as well. So that was kind of the seed of it all and also the destruction of it all as well. That is such an amazing story. And I can relate to that so much because I also have scoliosis and it's not just lateral. Like some people look at scoliosis, like you said, from the back, it's a bend to one side. It's also rotational. And when it becomes lateral and rotational, you're changing the way the rib cage fits so that the ribs might be slipped over to one side and then one lung's being collapse and the other side's not fully inflating because that other lung's weak. And then you're getting all these pressures down into the pain and the hips and, and it's, it's excruciating. And when you load the spine from the top, so you carry someone or when you're holding a baby for women that have scoliosis, it's excruciating pain. It's shooting down your body. And a lot of people don't have that awareness that this isn't normal. Like something is off and chiropractic was huge for me to help me realign my spine and then going and lifting and working out to help strengthen the muscles that were weak on the opposite side that was being compensated, right. Was very important. And then doing Pilates to stabilize the spine and to strengthen my core, to hold everything where it's supposed to be and doing yoga to maintain that flexibility. I mean, this is what took me down my journey. So I'm so happy to hear that you figured out what was your ache and pain. Cause a lot of people live their lives, not knowing that they have scoliosis, mild, moderate, or extreme. And that's, what's affecting their their ability to breathe. And when, if you're not breathing well, it's going to affect your cognitive ability, your brain function. That's going to lead to brain fog, right? It's all, it's all holistic. The whole entire system is all connected. So I love that you found that help. And that's probably what got you into all these courses, getting into chiropractic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like the way I looked at it at the time was, okay, as I said before, it was alternative health. I knew even at 16, 17 years of age that the, and look, I have fantastic um, respect for medicine. I have huge, I mean, look what's happening with the pandemic and so on. So, I mean, frontliners, nurses, doctors, they're amazing people. But even at 16, 17 years of age, I knew that whatever was going on with me, I wasn't aware, like you say, of the different areas of the body that you mentioned there. I wasn't even aware where the pains were coming from. But I knew that there was, there was something deeper needed here. It was just a different way of healing that was needed here. And so... That's what brought me down my journey to kind of obviously get the benefit for myself. But as I was doing that, like, for example, I would be in a physical therapist room. And when you're lying, say, flat on your stomach, you're having all of these, like, what do you do? You converse with the person, right? If you're there for like a one hour thing. And then, so I met these like fascinating people along the way who would have trained, for example, at one physical therapy, but would have met somebody in their training that was interested in something else, something to do, like you say, the mind. And that's when, like, you start thinking. And then that's where the kind of the, the, the key to the door to awareness started opening for me. Because I'm like, all right, okay, that's interesting. Because I kind of feel like that too. So maybe that, what you're just telling me about somebody else you've trained with or some other, like, therapy you're intrigued or interested in, maybe there's something to do with that. And of course, in 1997, that's when I was, like, 17, 18, 98, obviously, that's when the internet, believe it or not, was just coming in like to Ireland. We were like, I don't know, there's 50 houses in where we were living and we were like first or second house. So it was like the old dial-up connection. So I started, you know, utilizing the internet as my library to figure out well, what were they saying and so on. 
And it became honestly like a hobby. So it was a therapy to try and help myself. But then it became a hobby and a therapy because I learned a few things and a few different therapies that helped me, what I would say, stitch me up. So I would like play sport for another couple of years. And like if I had a really hard session, I'd say, OK, I know now I need to go back to a certain guy or whatever and kind of get stitched up with this, uh, get another kind of session and so on. And then you know, maybe next week I'll have to go back again because we've got another hard session next week or something like that. But then what happened was it was progressively getting worse for me. So by the age of 20, I was just done and dusted with sport. Now, I didn't think of it at the time. That was the end of the road for me. And literally, I used all my 20s and all my money uh, to literally, you know, invest in myself physically, mentally, everything. And uh, and I learned so much. And then somewhere along the line, early in my 20s, I decided, you know what? Instead of like stitching myself up, just going to places and going to people and therapists, which a lot of people do. And don't get me wrong, that's a wonderful thing to do. I said, I really need to find out what the core of all of this is. So then I decided, made a conscious decision that instead of like just reading online, that I'm going to do a course in, in one of these things. And then one thing led to another, because once you start doing one, you start going, that's really intriguing. And it's answered some of my questions and curiosities, but not every one of them, because there's something still wrong with me. And then you start moving and shaking and you keep going, you keep going. Suddenly years pass. And most of that time I use myself, my body, my, you know, my human cycle, whatever else, to kind of just experiment. And there was times where I literally, I mean, I was so bad at times with my, my spine and my hips and everything that I was in bed at night and my hips would pop in and out of place. Um, even my ankles, all these different things. Like one therapist said to me, remember the, the old Budweiser ad on the television where you had all these kind of, I uh, can't remember the names of the horses, the beautiful horses. And uh, he said like, you're like one of those uh, horses, he said, like you're just big and you're awkward and your feet, you can't even, you know, your legs move and they're just like trying to carry your feet and your feet are squirting with your knees and hips and everything. And everything was just out of sync. And so like, I just wanted to kind of, I, I utilize everything. I, I did, I used my whole body, my whole mind just to try and power myself through. And then once I kind of thought, okay, I'm, I'm really improving here. Then I deliberately put pressure on my body to, for example, and, and, and if the hip popped, it popped because I knew how to get it back in again. Now, don't get me wrong, it'd be pain there, but I literally had so much confidence in what I was doing and the methods I was using. And the thing about scoliosis, for example, it's very individualistic. Like people, even listening to this, you know, if they come back to you and say, hey, I got scoliosis, help me, or they come to me. The reality is it's really individualistic. You know, you can have a, a curve of 45 degrees or 50 degrees or it can be one side of the body, left side of the body, and all of this. So, it, and there's different part, there's different types of scoliosis. There's idiopathic scoliosis, um, pediatric, and so on. So you can be born with it, or you can kind of idiopathic is you can get it. Usually, it's like along the teenage years. And for actually, just as you said, I think there's like seven times seven times more likely that females will get scoliosis more so than males for whatever reason. And um, yeah, so it's a lot of it is postural. Like women, we carry yeah. a purse on one side, we carry our babies on one side. So we do it to ourselves by not balancing ourselves out. And then for me, I mean, it was a result of a car accident. So sometimes it's blunt force trauma that will reset yeah. the spine. And it's good to know. It's actually good to know, like you say, unfortunately, like the, the, the shock of that. Uh, and it is, that's a huge thing because that, that goes into our nervous system and it's stored that memory of exactly what has, hap has happened. 
And if you can, you have to re-educate essentially what's going on with the nervous system, right? And that's where the brain things and neural things can have huge impact. But also, like you say, postural, it could, and, and for people, sometimes it's just postural and sometimes it's like, it's neurological as well. And as I said, like if it's genetic, it can be genetic, but it can also like, uh, it can also, it, it, what's interesting about scoliosis, like there are, I've done a lot of research on this over the years as well with other people. In fact, I was going to write a, well, I had a book kind of partially written before the pandemic, but that's a long story short on that. And it was to do with scoliosis. I was going to give a lot of it to charity and stuff like that. But I had interviewed a lot of people and researched how they did their individual um, kind of happenings and occurrences with scoliosis that occurred. But what I found out as well is that there's a lot of different, people can be born with this and have other issues as well. A lot of other issues, um, even autism, for example, you'd never think that there's a relationship between something physical like scoliosis with a twisted spine with someone who's autistic, but there is. There's quite a quite a, a lot of occurrences of that as well. But there's, look, there's all different things. Sometimes it can be just a, a symptomatic thing that's something deeper going on. But I like what you said earlier on, I'll bring it back to that, is that this whole system, our minds, brains, bodies, everything, the people we're around, like we're all like one organism, right? It's all holistic. And the the thing about the kind of traditional medicine in general, they look at, okay, I go in with a cramp, here's a tablet, go home. And the tablet's strong, don't get me wrong, it might have the cramp, but it can also have a side effect as well. So we have to start looking at the whole being. And until we do that and everybody does it together, we're going to have a lot of pains in this world. So, I lo- you know, the, mo- the more awareness, the more conversations and the more reaching out, that we can all do, we can all help each other, I think. Um, and all these new diseases that are coming in the world, I sure as heck don't know where they're coming from. By the way, I'm not a medical doctor, and uh, but I don't want to be either, because with respect to what all they know, it's fantastic. But there's so much other learning out there as well from other areas that we really need to be open to. I love that. And I want to amplify what you just said, because it is true, medical doctors, they're highly specialized in what they've studied. So you go to school and you learn about, you know, the cardiovascular system, like you're a specialist in that. But then when someone comes to you with a problem, you're only thinking in that lens. You're only thinking from that focus. You might not be thinking, huh, this issue with their heartbeat and what's going on with their heart might be coming from a postural issue where their body is just off. And if we can get their body better, right? Their spine straightened out and everything, their heart's going to work better. Or maybe this person's under a high amount of stress, their cortisol levels are off the, off the charts and that's going to cause blood pressure to go up too. So, you know, I love doctors. I think they're great, but what I've found from my own experience is that it's a narrow focus. It's looking at the whole, it's looking at a problem from one lens and not from multiple perspectives. You have to look at the situation as, okay, this person's coming to me, they're experiencing pain or they're experiencing an issue with an organ or they're experiencing issue with their skin. Let me look at the whole body system physically. What does the exercise look like mentally? What are their thoughts? You know, let's, let's take a look at their neurotransmitters. What are those levels at? Right. Then let's look, take a look at um, their emotions. Like how are they feeling? And and really kind of come down to, okay, where, what's off? Cause that's what holistic health coaching is all about. It's creating balance through all four modalities, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and then finding out, okay, you have a heart condition. That heart condition may not actually be an issue with your heart. Yes, it is an issue now, but that may have been caused by years and years of executive burnout, cortisol levels being high, acetylcholine being high. 
serotonin being low, experiencing some depression, like all these things are going to affect our organs and tax our organs and tax our system and our mind. And I just, I love that you said that, like, we need to all come together and looking at it from a broader perspective and not through such a narrow focused lens. Thank you for sharing that. That was very powerful. So I have a question for you. I'm looking at your courses, advanced osteopath, osteopathy, right? Mastery. And then you also had the Bowen therapy. Can you speak to those two very quickly for someone that might be experiencing some physical pain, specifically from a spinal standpoint and what those two therapies can do? Two seconds. Well, first of all, you've done a lot of research. Um, I didn't expect you to be talking about those things, to be quite honest. Uh, but um, yeah, those a lot of courses I put up, um, I mean, I'll add to, and I'll also, I mean, I, I certainly need to do more courses. Uh, there's times when I'm like, oh God, I need to put up other stuff and, you know, update them as well. Um, but these are things along the way, I did a lot of, when I say complimentary stuff, and as I said, all the alternative stuff at the time, I, I, I went everywhere. I went to every type of therapist. And then with a lot of those courses, I've kind of put in my experiences of them as well as the theory that's going on there. Um, I would always, always say, by the way, go to your medical doctor first. If there's any, anything wrong with you, obviously, because both legally and also it, like, they're huge, there's no doubt there's huge knowledge, but it's just the whole system, unfortunately, can be a little bit outdated in some ways. Um, but individual doctors can be fantastic. There's no doubt about it. Once you get that information, you're best served then at going to someone complimentary because they, once they, like, for example, if you get a, a scan and you go to a chiropractor or, or an osteopath, you mentioned an osteopathy, right? They'll know whether this or that has been done with your body. You've had an operation or they can read it straight away. Some of them are really, really good at looking at x-rays or scans or things like this. And once they realize that, then they can begin to kind of use their power as well as their skills to manipulate the fascia in your body and manipulate all the different areas so that, you know, you're not just limited by certain movements that they do because they understand from their point of view, which part of the body is linked to the other part. So if you, for example, in the chiropractic, a lot of the times you go in and there's like, I think 10 or so types of sessions that are needed. So you might go in with a hip problem and suddenly you come out with a perfect hip. It feels great but then your neck is kind of dodgy. And you're like, oh, well, hold on. My neck was, but the plan from the chiropractic science point of view is that, well, we have to upset, or we have to kind of heal one area and that might upset the other area, but that's why we have 10 sessions here because in their science, it's like a holistic batch of sessions that will make you feel better, uh, realizing the system, shock it into kind of submission and then re-energize it and so on. So they have, that's their own science. Then osteopathic is kind of different where it's a little bit kind of kinder in the way the manipulations are done. Um, there's, there's slight differences in all of these things, bone therapy, all of them. So what I did is I went to all of these different things, all these different places, uh, different therapists. And then you have to decipher, by the way, between what's, who's a good therapist at a brilliant therapy or like a not so good therapist at a brilliant therapy. So you'll find that a lot of the times it's like a, a smidging of, it's like a, a meal, a beautiful meal. Uh, for you to cook, uh, I don't know, um, a chicken casserole and for someone else to cook a chicken casserole, one is a brilliant chef, the other one, not so much. Obviously, you're the brilliant chef. 
But, you know, whatever ingredients you put in to that particular meal, it's like going to you know, different therapies and you learn things, be it as a patient, as a client, or as a person who's instructing it as well. So in my courses, I just put in basically all the theory that I knew to be and all my experiences as well, just to try and help people. And that's, you know, you know, it became a hobby as well, because one of the one of the other aspects of my world, I was a teacher. And so that's when, when I, I kind of left off there in my early 20s, I started teaching. So I became a primary school teacher. Uh, which is an elementary school teacher in the in the states, and then a secondary or post primary or high school teacher as well. And then I fell into the world of behavioral teaching, and this was really really interesting to me. And some of the things I kind of fell into that as I was doing other work in the evening time. So single guy, I was like doing all of these courses and kind of using myself as a lab rat, self improving myself. I got to a state then, I'm, okay, I'm good now. I feel really really good. Like I can play sports now. And I can do all these things and I can keep fit and so on, all my hobbies. But I wanted to like give back. I want to be able to kind of use this. And I, by the way, I grew up in a golf course. That was our home business. That's a whole nother, a whole nother thing. So like sport was in my DNA as such. We had a golf course business and you know, from the ages of 12 or 13, I was out like playing golf and I was, you know, helping people out and, you know, business wise and everything. All my of husband that. would love you. Yeah. So, you know, that was, that was, that was the way it was. And then like, it was beautiful because, my summer, my summer day was really cool. It's like get up in the morning, uh, 100 meters away from our home house was this golf course. And we'd just go down, open it up. And, uh, you know, we'd have a few old age pensioners coming in and, you know, treat them well and make some coffee for them. Talk about golf, turn on the TV, watch the tennis or golf or whatever other tournament was on in sport. And it was all like a sports bar, except it was like a sports cafe and golf course. Then there was like golfers coming in and out, you know, helping them, giving them golf clubs going out then and you know raking bunkers uh cutting down trees or throwing back hedges all the time talking and then you're, you're going out and you're guiding people along golf courses like rangering them telling them you know that hole is busy there's three or four groups there go to the next hole um and then in the evenings i was going off playing sport myself contact sport so like it was a, an idyllic oh, it was beautiful and then we had a sea a beach up the back of us we go swimming so like it was active 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 outdoors all of the time and so what I utilized then when I became a behavioral school teacher, what I loved about that was the whole behavioral part of it. Wasn't, you know, and even psychology, I was like, okay, that's cool. But people say to me, oh, cognitive, you must have loved all of that. Because I thought everything. I thought everything. I thought maths. I thought, you know, and you know, I think of cognition and understanding maths. And I wasn't the greatest mathematician or learner of maths when I was in school. But what I learned from when I was doing my homework as a frustrated child was that, you know, I'd always complete something. And with mathematics, you'd always run into problems. And I always thought, well, I did, you know what, I'll go to the school the next day and if the teacher doesn't like my uh, answer, I don't really care because look at all of the pages I've <laughs> used up here and all the different ways I've tried to do all these mathematical problems. And I failed, but I didn't really care. And uh, because, you know, maths wasn't my thing. But when I came to become a teacher, I loved how people learned and I loved how they perceived information. And of course, then how they behave because of that. So I started doing all other courses, by the way, and I started working privately myself in the evenings. Then I was in the behavioral school and I was going from like, what is wrong with these children? Why are they acting up? Children who had, were suicidal at seven or eight years of age, children who were like anorexic, children who had uh, just a, more, a variation of emotional behavioral issues. And then in the evenings, I started working like 
physically with people, but also mentally with people. Again, problems, issues. How can I solve these problems? And I loved all of that because everybody is individually different. And like we learn so much, and science is based off all different science. Go back to courses, for example. They're all based off knowledge of what we already know. A thousand people did this, therefore we do that. Therefore we teach them this way. Therefore we are. But everybody is different. And neurologically, there's crossovers with everything. So I'm a little bit autistic. I'm also a little bit ADHD. I'm also a little bit probably charismatic. And these are things that shouldn't be mixed with, for example, somebody who's autistic or has ADHD primarily. But, you know, we are all a cocktail of different things. And the people we are around really are so, so, it's been said a million times, the five, you are the sum of the five people you're around all the time. It's so true though. And it doesn't even take five or 10 or three. If you are on your own, and if you can be positive, do the right thing and grow. Growth is huge in my book. Once you can do that, you'll accelerate in whatever field you're in. I love that. And you helped co-author four books on mental health. So yeah. you've definitely gone through that similar experience. You have your PhD in sociopsychology yeah. and you have a postdoctorate degree in neuroscience. Can we yeah. deep dive into the brain and deep dive into mental health? Because especially yeah. right now with the pandemic, yeah, so many absolutely. people are dealing with isolation. They're dealing with confusion. They're dealing with trying to find a new identity and, and, and we're, we're suffering. So let's talk about, let's talk about the brain. Let's talk about mental health, pour into us, give us some value. How can we get through these times of isolation? Yeah. So the, the first, like the first thing like in psychology generally is first off psychology and neurology, they can be quite different, right? The, to be very elite about each and every one of them, the psychologists traditionally don't like want to be called neurologists and neurologists don't want to be called psychologists. They're all different. But that's, you know, the, the reality is, though, there are two sides of the one coin in many ways, right? Because at the end of the day, I can only use what I know for myself. So if I learn from psychology or if I learn from the neurology part of things, I have a different, for example, shape brain probably than you. I perhaps am more attuned to using my brain in a different way if, for example, I'm sporting, if another person is not. So we're rewiring our brain all of the time. Now, from the psychological point of view, they would say that if, hypothetically, if a a pandemic did come and we're all uh, left to stay at home or forced to stay at home for over a year, for most people in this world, which has happened now, is that the habits that you kind of do day to day in that one year period are going to dictate the rest of how you kind of integrate with society and the rest of your working world from there on in. So after pandemic then finishes. And it's the exact same, funny enough, on the other side of the coin with the neurology of things, because there's this thing called, as we know, neuroplasticity. So the things that we do and at the times even of the day that we do them, the habits again that we have started off uh, doing by force more than likely, for example, working at home and so on, more so than working in an office. In many ways, it's very, very difficult to get out of them. So I'll throw it back to you, for example, Nico, in this, and this is an example. If we think of a real world, you've had children, right? So you mentioned pregnancy. Obviously, when a a woman goes nine months with something going inside them, you mentioned posture and all these different things. I'm sure for you, as a human being, even though like your fit and your, you know, your extremely 
driven with regard to improving and all the things you've learned. I'm sure there's differences in you as a being now because of nine months having a child inside and growing inside of you than prior to that. So your mind and your thinking is reflected by that experience. And the reason, as we know, say, for example, from pregnancy, like there's huge chemical imbalances that can occur during a pregnancy. And one of those things, of course, naturally enough, is you've got a growing being inside of you. So as you intake nutrition and food and the amounts of food, that little sucker is actually taking it from you. So you're going to be depleted in some ways by energy. Your bloods are going to change and everything. So that's not rocket science. But it's the same way with something happening in the likes of a, something like a pandemic. If, but the thing about it is, we all individually think from it, and I'll, and I'll pop it back to you with this one, with regard to the pregnancy, because <laughs> I sure as heck can't say anything about that. I'll tell you that much. But like, a lot of people right now are thinking, and even as they're going back into society, gosh, hope people don't see my hair, or you know, I haven't styled it in a year, or mm. gosh, I hope people don't know the things I was doing, or that I wasn't exactly going to bed at 9 p.m. every night, yeah. or I was watching too much Netflix, or you know, I didn't spend that extra time doing X, Y, and Z like I told my friend I would do right before the pandemic. But the main thing to remember is that just because you haven't seen anybody or your friends or your work colleagues or even society or gone to a concert or a big football game, everybody individually has had to deal with this more or less on their own. Yeah. If we go back to the word awareness, you're forced to be aware of things that you were not aware before. A CEO client of mine has said to me a couple of times, one sentence, they said to me, I am I'm so sick of walking around the same area of my house all of the time. Now, if you saw where this person lives, it is idyllic, it is beautiful. I'm like, are you serious? Like, I mean, come on, there's people that would die for that area. Get me back to work is his thing. Second thing is like, he's like, I, I, I just cannot wait to be back with people, the fun, the banter in the office. Now, that second one makes perfect sense. But everybody is in the same thing. Everybody is individually trying to get aware of things. He's also said to me, now that I think about it, about he has this fascination with ivy going on at the moment. Did you know there's a lot of ivy on the trees? And I'm like, yeah, there's been ivy growing on trees for a long time. Now, this is a very intelligent guy. But he wasn't aware of it before. Now that when he's on his walks, he's like, oh, look what's happening, you know? So <laughs> this awareness, and we, you know, if we talk about trees and nature and herbs, and you guys call it herbs, all these things, these are beneficial to us. These are the things that nature has given, but we're so broken away from what is in front of us on our doorstep. So all the things that have benefited us and work, like computers and technology and all of that, fast pace of life, we need to slow down, we need to smell the roses, and we need to integrate the goods and the bads from the modern society with old society. Like we said, medicine is good, but take the goods from it and learn from the other complementary things that are out there. So I'll shoot it back to you on the pregnancy thing. Oh my gosh. I'm like, where do we begin? Everything that you said about awareness and presence, being present in the moment, because I just realized the other day I went outside to play with Kai and I was like, oh, wow, these bushes are blooming these beautiful purple flowers. They've probably been blooming for weeks now. And I didn't even realize it. 
And I've been outside every single day and I don't even see it because we're so into our technology. We're into our phone. We're into our email. We're into our business. We're into trying to be perfect at whatever we're doing. Right. And perfectionism in and of itself is a disease. And it's one that I'm trying to break myself. Like you saw today, everything didn't go perfectly and that's okay. And you have to sit there and just say, it is what it is. It's not yeah. perfect, but it's part of my experience. It's part of my journey. It's part of my story. So with pregnancy, a hundred percent, everything that you said is so true. When I was pregnant with Kai, the first trimester, it was, it was challenging as most are. Um, I didn't have the worst morning sickness like most, but I was tired and my, my mood was definitely disrupted. Like my body knew something was changing. My hormones were changing. The chemicals were changing. There was something that was in, that was literally growing inside of me. And that caused me to feel some depression. And then second trimester was great. Third trimester was fine. But then from a scoliosis standpoint, that third trimester, as the baby kept growing, there was more pressure being put on my hips, on my pelvis, on my spine. And I was starting to have a lot of issues with chronic low back pain, neck pain. Um, I actually had a, a situation called PSD, pubic symphysis dysfunction, where the muscles of my pelvic floor were literally trying to split my pubic bone apart. So that was fun. Um, I had to go through that. And then you have the baby and then you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're like, whoa, this is not my body anymore. I felt like a person in a different body. So then there was this whole emotional, psychological, mental thing going on where I'm trying to find myself in my new, in my new body, right? I'm trying to find the old body in the new body. And then you're going through sleep deprivation. Here's a newborn that's not sleeping, right? They sleep for 30 minutes to 90 minutes at a time. So you're up all the time. And then that sleep deprivation starts to lead to very, very low mental clarity. So brain fog is real. Mom brain is real. Not remembering, did I brush my teeth today or did I not? And and that, that taxes you. All of that taxes you. And I feel like the pandemic is so much the same as a woman that goes through pregnancy. We're put in a situation that's completely out of our normal experience. We went from being interactive, seeing people, communicating with people, going out and feeling carefree. And I shouldn't say carefree in a way of like, I'm not paying attention. I'm just like living freely, but we're not worried about, oh my gosh, if I touch that door, am I going to get sick? Oh my gosh, if I'm within six feet of that person, am I going to catch whatever they have? Like there's so much fear right now when we're trying to reintegrate and go back out and be around people again, that we didn't have that fear before we were more carefree. That's what I mean by that fear. And it's, it's been really interesting seeing how businesses are having to function differently. A lot of businesses aren't going back to in-person they're staying virtual. Yeah. And, and you know, it's funny you should say that because it's like there's a level playing field now at the moment as well. And if, and even if a person has been, first off, this whole mental health terminology, there's no doubt about it. People kind of see it and they go, oh, therefore they have a problem, right? Yeah. But if you, from my point of view, you have to be completely mentally well in order to then start improving, be that business or sport or performance or anything else, right? So a lot of the ways and a lot of the people I deal with now are high performers. The point is, they can like they can have an issue when they're on, for example, eighty thousand people in sport, right? They're they're used to that; they can perform at that, no problem. But then they have an issue going on in a relationship that they just can't figure out, and they could be the toxic link between that relationship not prospering and yet after like playing sport in front of 80,000 people, they can do it every week, but the 11th week, they just can't do it. And it's like the, 
the, the, the straw that breaks the camel's back, right? That seed has been set in the way you're treating people and it will get back into your mindset as well, right? So when you speak of, like, say, pregnancy and the chemical difference, we can make chemical differences on a positive mindset, in a positive mindset by, by re-engineering how our brains feed our minds and how we feed our feelings into and integrated into our body coming from our thoughts, right? So they're all interrelated. So if we're coming out of a pandemic, if you have not achieved in life, if you have felt, oh, you know what, I've hit a certain age and I cannot do this because of that, or I don't have enough money, that's gone now. This is the perfect time, even if you have not put in one year solid of doing habitually great things, getting up early in the morning, doing a fantastic morning time routine, doing wonderful things that will lead you to become the person you want to be or achieve those levels that you know is inside of you. Now is the time. It's a level playing field because everybody is going to react differently to the new world. Let's call it the new world, the new society. Uh, I heard yesterday, for example, where somebody was like, oh, getting their second vaccine, and yet they had to go into a store and still were ordered to put on a mask. Now, it is what it is. We don't know what's the future. Like Generally, in this world, we, we can't figure out where things came from or what exactly happened. But what we can control is ourselves. And we can control to kind of reach for the stars and put in the work and that's where you'll get the best benefits from it all. But remember, everyone around you is coming from the point of view of, I, you know, I've had a year out. I haven't seen people. You know, I'm working from home. It doesn't exactly suit me. If they haven't improved like 100% more so than they have done, well, it's a level playing field. You can get to wherever you want to go. The different parts, it's like a domino effect in your brain, mind, body. Working together, you get them all switched on and working together, and you'll be shocked at how forward you call it falling forward, how falling forward you can go and how quickly you can get there. You really have to have the right people around you. You really have to know exactly what you want, and even the right people will help you find out what that is. But there can be and will be a chemical reaction to this. It's just up to you whether you want it to be positive or negative. That was incredibly powerful. And I wrote down so much from what you just said. I, I want to come back to what you said about how we can re-engineer how our brains feed our minds, which then our minds feed our feelings and our emotions. Mm -hmm. It's all interrelated. How do you believe we can become mentally well for those of us that are struggling right now? Do you have a few tips or tricks or things that we can start to implement right now to re-engineer our brains? Yeah, so as you're well aware, right, you've got this thing in our brain called the reticular activating system, right? And not to become very technical on it, but it's embedded into our brain. It's there. Thankfully, every, shall we say, neurologically normal child that's born has this embedded into their brain. But what it does is it seeks out, it seeks consciousness of what is happening in front of us. So it is conscious of whatever all the other parts of our brain and our mind perceive as happening out there. So if we go and walk down the street and we see, I don't know, 10 people coming towards us, because we're on a certain street in a certain state at a certain time of the day or night, 
we might perceive those 10 people as being, if they're, for example, male in stature, we might perceive them as being harmful. But there's no fact to that. In another state, on another street, with, for example, better buildings around, uh, a brighter day at a different time of the day, these males could be seen as you know, 10 athletes that are doing charity work or something like that. And we perceive their approach differently. So the, all people that you're like going out into society now, what you perceive and how you feed back the other areas of your brain. And that's where the feelings come from. So when we think of anxiety, the, perhaps be a, you know, there was a lot of talk to, at the start of this pandemic with regard to PTSD. There's going to be post-traumatic stress with this and anxiety disorders such as social anxiety. That can happen with the athlete, the performer who was uh, performing in front of like 80,000 people or the person who was a professional speaker right before this. They can go out now and if their perception is going to be pushing them towards, you know what, I haven't had this in a while, this level of attention, or you know, those people there wearing masks because you know they're a little bit paranoid of we don't know why people are wearing masks if they're, you know, whether they've been, for example, get the second jab or not, or you know, whatever different vaccine they've got. We don't know who's linked to them and their families. We don't know their underlying conditions. Our perception is we think we know the facts from before. 2020 are now no longer, right? So what we feed ourselves now is what we're, so what I'm saying here is that mental health, it's natural that you're going to go out and you're going to be a little bit kind of not so much your personality, your pre-pandemic personality where, you know, before I was a little bit kind of more enthusiastic about things or I was a little bit more kind of extroverted. That's okay because people's reactions to you, remember they're back at home for so long too. They're not used to laughing. They're not used to socializing. They're not used to even working in social ways. So give them a time too. But it's your perception of what's going on will, will actually allow your brain to feed the feelings. And then that makes your body feel well. You mentioned cortisol levels, stress levels, and so on. So how we integrate back into society is crucial, obviously. But it's not just for our mental health. It's how we perform in our jobs. It's how we perform if we start a new business. It's how we perform in our sport. It's how we perform on stage or whatever else. So it's about using the perception. And it's a fresh perception. Just acknowledge other people are in this. Empathy, just empathy for other people in their way is, is as powerful now as the facts of pre-2020. So, I mean, you can, you can go forward now you're going to have this, how would I say it, this, this like newness, like freshness of anxiety. That's going to be there. But how you perceive what you want your future reality is going to be, you're at the starting line again. It's a level playing field. And you can kick on through this like starting position of social anxiety. That's going to exist. But it doesn't have to exist too long for you. You can become the joker in the room now. You can smile when other people are not smiling because everybody has been locked away for a long time. So I hope that kind of answers this. I think I've delved a little bit deeper than not exactly gone to the to the root of it either. No, I, I love it. And I think the main things that I'm hearing now from my friends, my family, my clients is they're yeah. dealing with depression or they're dealing with anxiety. And 
I, I love what you said about perception. It's all about your perception and how you're perceiving the situation around you. What are things that you are doing and you have done to help change your perception? Yeah, it's 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 really good. You know what? Just before this, I was actually a couple of hours before this uh, chat, I was talking to a guy I I know, and he was uh, he's a construction worker, right? And I was I wanted to get a bit of work done outside and stuff, so I hadn't seen him in like a year and a half. And we used to have we used to kind of socialize together. And of course, here he comes along with his big yellow coat and his like construction boots and so on. And I was wearing like a t-shirt, you know. I'm, I'm like like after dinner and like walking towards him wearing a pair of jeans whatever it's actually short believe it or not and he looks at me and he goes oh you're different <laughs> and i'm like well you're used to when perceive me when he goes oh well usually like on a, a weekend socially yeah saturday night saturday night is different here i am wearing like you know shorts and a t-shirt but going back to awareness, he wasn't even aware that he doesn't wear a yellow coat when he goes into a bar or into a pub or whatever else on a Saturday night. He doesn't wear construction boots. So, like, honestly, I think it's it's really, really important to show other sides of yourself now as well. Because, like, we met, for example, on Clubhouse. Clubhouse is a fantastic thing. Before even this particular chat here right now, I thought it was going to be audio only. So now I'm kind of conscious more so since I started of how I look. But you have to show the truth now. You have to be very real with people. And I, I really do think it's a new dawning. So I, I'm like concentrating for myself on just you know being a bit more real. Um, not trying to be anything I'm not, which I was never before. I perceived I was never before. I perceive there it is again, but I need to kind of use again empathy. Ask people. I think that's a, a very good thing as well. Good tactic. Ask people how are you feeling. And I said to that guy, I said, "How are you feeling? Like, how are things? How how are your parents? How is everybody at home? You know." And just really, really, really doing that because there's one true thing with all of this is that you've experienced it. I've experienced it. Before all of this, people would have said, I have this ailment, I have this problem, I've mentioned my problems. But if you put it all in context, what we've all gone through in the last year has been as big, if not bigger, than most people's worst experiences in life. But everybody has felt it. So you, empathy allows you to put yourself in their shoes, get to a certain point of conversation with them and say, hey, how have you been? No, like, like, break it down for me. I, I know you've got parents over 70 and you waited for a vaccine. Okay, they're cool. Or grandparents or whatever else. But like, how have you been? Like, what have you spent your time at? Like, and, and it's okay. Maybe rephrase the question. Like, uh, okay, did you waste time in this last year? And you probably get a more positive answer. Empathy. Just understanding where they're coming from. Because that's, like, if you're, you know, talk about sport, you cannot just go out and say, okay, we're all going back now at 7 p.m. We're going to do our practice. Before the pandemic, we did it for two hours. We'll do it for two hours now. We're going to do it firstly a warm-up, then we're going to go into the tackles, then we're going to whatever else. If you don't put in place there in the first in that two-hour session uh, an area for how are you and you know how can we do something different? Because that person has been at home for 12 months thinking about the sport or not thinking about the sport, 
thinking about themselves or not aware of things. So it's a different world now. So people like me, people like you, what you do, if big companies, big, you know, sporting um, teams, organizations, if you want to get ahead, if you want to compete, these soft skills have to be put to the front now. If you want to get ahead and compete, be kinder to people. It's the only way because whatever has happened that wound us all up the world into a pandemic, it's coming from a human being. And other human beings, including all of us who are alive in this planet today, have stood by and watched it happen. Why? More than likely, we weren't aware of what was happening, but it was happening. Yeah. We're back to the reticular activating system. Just For example, if they say it was airplanes, we were all flying too much. Fine. Horrible on the environment, I know. Therefore, in the future, we have to fly less. Okay. But we all still got hopped on a plane X amount of times over X amount of years. And we never once stopped and went, well, you know, maybe this is bad for the environment. And therefore, it will, it will activate on my lifestyle in the future. So the awareness of now and the perception of time of now, I could go on about this, but I hope it's not too, you know, no, I think it's perfect. And I, I want to go deeper. Yeah. I actually want to dive deeper because yeah. I know there are people that are listening right now and they're saying, okay, I get it. It's perception. Okay, I get it. Be empathetic yeah. towards others. But how can I experience, how can I portray empathy for someone when I'm feeling sad? I'm feeling down. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling like I'm having a heart attack because yeah. my anxiety is so high. So how yeah. do we help that person that's listening, that's saying, I, I can't even yeah. be around people right now because I am so heavy under my own feelings. That is a brilliant question because there's a point, look, we, for example, talk therapies, right, are fantastic, but a lot of them only work like 60% of the time. Yeah. And the other part of the time, for example, sometimes it's a case of the reason why they don't work so well is because people are rehashing all of the horrible experiences they've had. So to, through, you know, speech and talk and listening and so on. And it's, it's like, it's too much. I don't want to go there. Because, yeah, you brought me down the rabbit hole of what happened in my past, that horrible time, and now I feel worse. So yeah. how is that helping me? That's true. So there's an energetic field that, like, our brains are incredible, right? There's so, by the way, there's so much known about the brain science nowadays, which is fantastic. The last 20, 30 years has just been amazing. The next 20, 30 years is going to be absolutely incredible. However... Do I believe that we're going to find out everything? No, I don't believe so. Because there's something very special in human beings. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the Chinese call this chi, life. It's a life force. The Japanese call it ki. Even different, la different languages, different cultures, different countries have. But whatever it is that drives us, we can only go so far with people. We can communicate. But words, as we know from body language point of view, you know, Showing empathy cannot just be in words only and in tones of voice, in asking questions, but it needs to be also in the energy we emit to people. So there's no point saying, right, I'm feeling not so great. So I've heard that if you use empathy, therefore, it will help you. Okay, but I'm not feeling so great. Then don't, like, then you need to get to the point of view of getting yourself right first before you start delving deeper with somebody else yeah and that's and like this past year a lot of people again may have spent time alone but was it constructive and i'm not talking about like building 
you know, houses or, uh, you know, becoming the, the greatest version of yourself or anything like that. I'm talking about, are you aware of how good or how bad you are at something? Are you aware of what you're, are you honest with yourself? What you're, you're, what really makes you happy? What builds that energy in yourself? And it only, it can come in a moment. You don't have to have a year in a desert and be meditating for all of that. Some people do need meditation. There's no doubt about it. Some people it will activate all of these different things and awareness there for sure. But if you're aware of what your your best energy is, bring that best energy to the person. You don't have to be a psychologist or a counselor to be able to ask them questions and delve into that to get to that empathetic point of view. But if you bring good energy, people will know. They'll know through a smile. They'll know through good eye contact. They'll know through just, you know, even saying, I know. Just tell me about, tell me about your year and listening for a while. And then I know. And make no judgment on it. Because, you know, people are just getting it off their chest. And then that's fine. But it's the energy you're giving to them. Okay, let's switch the energy. Let's go for a walk now. Let's go for a, a drink or whatever else. Let's have fun for now. So you don't, like, you never, it's, I think it's one of these things in many ways, unless you've had a, a horrible death and uh, a lot of people have had that and there's interconnections with, you know, lack of funerals, lack of saying goodbye to people and horrible things that have happened in the last year. But I honestly think there's going to be a part of that that's really difficult to heal right now, even if you see your, your friends. It's going to take time. It's going to take so much time. And, but for now, for healing yourself, use your brightest energy. Pep yourself up with how and what makes you feel good. Be around that person. Just listen for a while. Address it with them. You know, other than the vaccine and all the self, uh, social distancing, if you can, hug, honestly. A hug is going to be the new you know, medicine, and it is a medicine because just people, you can't fake a good hug, Yeah, right? You feel it. And it's an energy exchange. Absolutely, absolutely. But don't go in, certainly do not go into, like empathy, don't use it as a kind of a, I, if I put myself in the shoes of the other person, therefore I can get the information and then I can use it in my point of view. That's destroying good energy. Yeah, if you're cognitively thinking and constructing and planning and scheming and manipulating and thinking, I'll show them good and then I'll get something else and get me ahead. No, a person will know that. There's no room now for any fakeness. You've yeah. got to be authentic. 100%. I believe, yeah, and, and you know that's when the real healing will, will begin. That's when it will sustain. And choose people, whatever business you were doing, whatever work you were doing, Choose the people more so than the topic to do that business with, because it's. I have to repeat that. Choose the people, not the topic. Yeah, I mean, look. Well, I mean, look. Industries have changed. Look at look at the airplane or airplane industry, the (laughs) airline industry, and like for example, there's a, a huge big airline here in Ireland, and their thing was like cheap seats, right? You just get what you pay for. It's like nineteen ninety nine. You get like cheap seats. They bought a whole flight of airlines, maybe six months into the pandemic, and they bought them cheap. They thought, "We'll sell them off now." And then they put a big ad on the television for like nineteen ninety nine. For whenever you get out of this pandemic, you can fly overseas nineteen ninety nine anywhere. That's fantastic. But like, we don't know where that 
industry is going. I saw something even last night about the, the jet industry and how it might change and so on. Um, so in three years' time, there might be a comeback for airlines, but in three years' time, it might be different again. They're, they're talking about new pandemics and so on and so forth. So my point is, like, people can change. We've all changed things in the last year. A lot of people have had to work at different things. There's people doing courses now, and they'll requalify. They'll thankfully find what they're better at than what they were doing before. But it's the people you need. Look at the people that rang you up one, two months into this pandemic and just said, hey, how are you? Can I help? Those are the people, the real people that you need around you. It's not what qualifications they have. It's not what they were giving to you before uh, from their you know, worker expertise or something like that. It's the people. The people can, anybody who's coming out of this, you might feel beat up, mentally affected. But guess what? Everybody's the same way. It might show it, but everybody has been just completely bereft of any type of good emotional energy contact company and so on. Everybody has felt the same way rather than like looking at a piece of plastic with a lens on it, a zoom or whatever else. This is not the same as a hug, right? This is not the same as a, a firm, honest handshake. We know that. Choose the right people to be around it. And if you have to break relationships now, now is the time to do it. I love Sayonara. that. Connection is so important. When yeah. we're talking about mindset, we're talking about the brain, we're talking about emotions, we're talking about psychology. But one thing that keeps coming back is awareness and connection, awareness and connection. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, we were at a, there's a book there a few years ago. Um, I'm sure you've read it, A New Earth, right? Uh, I think it was a Cartole. It's a great book. And if people have the last couple of weeks or months before they break out into society, read it. I think you'll love it. It's a long time since I've read it, but I honestly believe that you personally, if you're listening or watching this or whatever else, and if you're feeling on the cusp of, I'm not enough, things have changed, I don't have enough money, um, my social anxiety or PTSD is ramping up or whatever else, read this book. Put, Put it into your kind of, psychology going forward with regard to the new earth is here insofar as how you shape it for yourself as well. We're at the starting line again. Everybody's at the starting line, no matter who was famous or who was a celebrity or who was whatever else. It doesn't really matter because everybody has to react to this now. And you're better off with one good person in your life that can grow. And if they can grow, they can Google. Why? Because there's huge information on Google Therefore, if they're open-minded enough to help you out, you too, with them, will find the answers to whatever other problems you have in this world. And that person will be loyal to you along the way as well. So better have, like, think it as a spring clean. And if you do, then this time is going to be a very, very good time as you approach into this, I hope, new new world we're having. I love that perspective. Think of it as a spring cleaning out with the old and with the new, and you get to choose how you show up. You get to choose your perspective on the situation. I'm looking at like a clean playing field, a blank slate. It's you do art therapy. This is now my blank canvas. What art do I want to create with it? Right. And you mentioned neuroplasticity. And Mm. if you can just quickly define neuroplasticity so that people understand the power of it. Yeah, so very, very simply put, it's a lot of, okay, so if we, if we, if we, the neurons in our brain, think of it like, there's like the old kind of 
you had the, the, the old kind of clocks, maybe. No, I shouldn't say it, maybe the old clocks because a lot of people will understand these old type of clocks. I'm kind of getting older, older again this last year. But if we think of the neural networks in our brain, so for example, if, if we take it through language, if we said um, just a word, all right, like uh, shop or, or store, okay, people might go, okay, I hear one word, therefore one neural, neural network is actually ignited. So there's like blood pushed towards it, it's listening, and what does it do? It probably visualizes a shop or it memorizes a store or shop, okay? But unless you put like a verb to it, like go shop, Ah, I get you. All right, I'll go to the shop. Okay, you usually want milk and bread. Fine, I'll get you milk and bread. So shop is one thing that ignites a neural network, and like go shop is another thing. Ah, that involves activity. The two words together, shop and go, or go shop, either or, it's basic language, but it's not flashy, perfect grammatical. It doesn't matter. What it does in your brain is it ignites two different lit up areas. Electricity and blood is firing to those neurons, right? Separately, shop and or store, the word store or shop are firing one neural network. And then goal is doing the other. But when you put the two together, they're creating two networks. And there's a synapse where the two of them are going, ah. Oh. And that's where when you think, it's like the aha moment, right? Oh, okay, he wants to go and get bread and milk. Cool. And then like two words, imagine two little words together are opening this huge avenue of what can be done. So when our brains depreciate and they're the areas of our brain, you mentioned brain fog, really interesting. And again, this last year, a lot of people will and have, by the way, stopped using parts of their brain. Because if we take the social and connections part of our brain, our skills are gone, our social skills in many, for many of us. What are the social body language to do when we're listening? Uh, what are the things I need to do when I'm intrigued by somebody or I'm at least acting that I'm intrigued and so on? I want to be able to comfortably go into that social space now and be able to kind of use the words and listen and do my body language. What I used to do, I was an expert. I, I had charisma. I, I, I was brilliant at that. And now I'm nervous at doing it. Now I'm going into this area and I'm not so good at it. So. Believe it or not, all of those neural networks that we had before, they're gone. They haven't, they're dead now. But the beauty about neuroplasticity is that you can absolutely create brand new neural networks. So for example, when you think of Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's is depreciation of neural networks. And obviously it's to do with memories and so on, and all of these things that, that are you know, terrible, terrible things. However, even with Alzheimer's, there's ways now that they're discovering where you can recreate brand new neural networks. So you're building bridges. If I say, go back to the, the shop, the word shop and go, you're creating a synapse. It's like a bridge from one word to the next that will create either a visualization or a memory. So you can create, so if you're, for example, wondering or worrying about going out into society, going into workplace and seeing all the old crew, not being nervous, being a little bit agitated by all of those thinking. You can sit and you can visualize those things. And what that does then is, you know what the office block looks like. You know what the, the, the bar or the public house or the, the football stadium looks like. 
you know what the, the tunnel, the last few seconds looks like. If you start seeing that and you start walking your way through that particular journey, you're, you're creating brand new neural networks, physically brand new neural networks that are going on. So they're not actually, to all the things you did, even if you were always late for work or got nervous or whatever else happened, or you know you were always silly at getting up in the morning at five and say, that's gone. Those times are gone. These are brand new physical neural networks in your brain. So there's no reason logically to think that you're going to go back to the old habits you did before. So it's brand new. So why wouldn't you actually just grab hold of that and say, wow, this is science. This is physically different in my brain and I can create it. I can create what I want to be tomorrow. That's, that's amazing, I think. Dr. Connor, this is probably my favorite part of the entire interview because right here, there was an aha moment for me. A light bulb went off. And as you're sitting there and talking about neuroplasticity and shop being a noun and go being a verb, and you put the two together and there's this, this jump between the synaptic gaps in our brain. And now we have this visualization. It leads me back to thinking of affirmations. Like you can literally come up with statements that will help you undo how you're feeling right now. You can sit here and say, I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling isolated. And you're recreating that neural pathway. You're enforcing it. You're making yeah. that trench deeper. Or you can sit there and say, I am strong. I am confident. I am resilient. I am connected. I am a lover of people and new experiences. And now I have the opportunity to go out there and recreate the life that I've always wanted to live. And now you're creating a new neural pathway. Exactly. And that's powerful. Exactly. And, and I think if, if no one takes anything else from this conversation right there, how do we bounce back from, from a neuroscientist, from a sociopsychologist, how do we, what's one nugget we could take away from Dr. Connor? It's the fact that you can sit here and just through language and just through your thoughts and just through the reprogramming of the things that you say, and not just using one word, but multiple words, you can create new neural pathways and beliefs, neuroplasticity, in order to change the way you perceive life, because this comes back to perception. Yeah. And it's in that perception that you change your awareness, your consciousness, and your total being. Yep. Mike Boom. That was yeah. <laughs> well, this is it. And it, it like and you will fight that off. Of course you will, because you're like, oh my gosh. Is, it's like it's so that, weird. It's woo-woo. Is that know? real? But, but the it reality is, brain. is well, yeah, well, here's, here's the proof behind it as well. Because you are, if you, the crowd that you join now, whether again, it's a football match or, you know, you go to work and there's more than 10 people or whatever else. All of these people, this is factual. Like, if you want to be skeptical of this, right now, as I said, it's a level playing field. So it's the perfect time in the history of your life. And I can be quite confident in saying that to almost seven and a half billion people in this world, because everybody has been locked up in many ways in the last year, a very, very tough year. So you're going to go to a social outlet in some way, and everybody is going to perhaps not do what you're choosing to do. So like you say, I am confident. Better again, you are confident, because they will notice that you are more confident than the other 10 people in the office. Because you will be, one, because you are telling it to yourself that others will think you are confident because you will be. And also because they have, they're feeling as if 
oh, I'm a little bit agitated. I'm a little bit nervous. I have been out of the social context for the last year or so as well. So it's a perfect time now to reinvent yourself and live in the moment and just be that confident person that you know deep down was always there for you to be. Because we're not designed to lack confidence. We are like, look at baby, little babies. They smile. They don't, you know, you're walking down the street with your beautiful baby and people just look at them and they go, oh, look at a beautiful baby. And what does the baby do? He reacts or she reacts. They smile. So it's delight. Confidence is a delightful thing. It's not arrogance. That's a totally different thing. Confidence rewards you for what you have the ability to be. So why not choose it? Wow. Dr. Connor, I knew this was going to be an amazing conversation. I didn't know it was going to be this incredible. Um, I am so blessed for you being here and joining us on the Failing Forward podcast. I know we've gone significantly over time and I know you're a very busy man with a lot of things to do. I just wanted to go ahead and express to you my deep appreciation for your heart, for your authenticity, because some people are just listening to this conversation right now through Spotify, whatnot, but if they could see the visual and they could see your face, I can feel the energy of authenticity, of integrity, of passion, of purpose through your eyes. And I, I apologize that I didn't tell you to get your hair done and your makeup done and all those things oh. ahead of time. It was a little surprise, right? You look incredible, by the way. Um, but how, how can we stay in touch? I know I do. Thank you. <laughs> well, that's I not love arrogant. that. I love that. How can we stay in touch with you? For those of us that are here and they're like, wow, this, this man is amazing. And this is totally different than therapy. This is totally different than, than other forms of coaching that people may have received. How can we get in touch with you yeah, to and more I just about say, this I brain? Just say, I just want to say that with that, just on that, it's like, it is totally different because it's like, if you meet somebody in your life, whoever they've been, maybe, you know, at, who's like, you kind of go, aren't they great? I wish I was like them. And then you're like, you kind of go home and you're like, you're annoyed. The reason why you're annoyed is because you know, nothing to do with them. You know, you can do what they've done. So it's like, pull yourself up, make the choices. And like, life is waiting for you. You do not want to look back on life. You've looked back, all of us have now this past year or whatever else you've, you've done or not done with yourself and perhaps regretted things you've done or not done. But do you want to look back in 10, 15, 20 years time on your deathbed and think you haven't gone down that avenue of doing something you know you can do that you're on this earth for doing? You have the capability of doing it, so why not do it? You can only fail. And then what happens? You actually fail forward and you, you, you improve because you learn from it because that's where brain works, isn't it? Um, my website is docconnor.com. That's D-O-C. C-O-N-O-R.com, .conor.com. Um, I know you'll remember it because it's easy to remember. And, um, and we're going to put it in the show notes for you. So just go yeah, ahead and cool, slide yeah. down in the show notes. You can go ahead and click on his website there. We'll put some other places that you can get a hold of him via social links and Clubhouse. I mean, he's hosting yeah. some incredible conversations. You don't want to miss them. Absolutely. And there's one coming up that's going to be really good. And you know what? Without telling people too much about it, those, and there's a lot of people that aren't on Clubhouse, the vast majority of people aren't, and they're kind of going, oh my God, I want to go to Clubhouse. You'll be there soon, and we'll be there waiting for you. And if you're listening to either of us, we'll have you on stage. And I would love if you brought up this conversation, if we said, 
because I know we could speak for hours on this and still be speaking and still be learning and so on. So that is the future. And hopefully we can all do together and we can learn together. I want to reinforce that it's about coming together in community with the word unity capitalized U N I T Y. We are meant to connect. We are meant to serve one another because where you have an expertise, I have a different experience. I have a different story. And when we come together and we share our stories of how we failed forward, here's what I did. I was in so much pain physically. Here's how I fixed myself. I was in so much pain mentally. Here's how I fixed myself. When we come together and we share these stories of failures, this is how we save time. What I went through that it might take you five to seven years to learn about let me shortcut that for you. Let, let me teach you what I learned in five to seven years in a matter of moments. Let me answer your questions and help empower you and pour into you so that you can go out there and live your best life and not waste the next five to seven years. That's what this connection is all about. Thank you, Dr. Connor, for being on the Failing Forward podcast. I cannot wait for more conversations with you. Truly blessed and truly appreciative of you and your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.